So Jesus, we trust you as we enter into your word, and we pray that you would speak. Um, we trust you. Thank you that your word is effective, that accomplishes the purpose for which it is sent. Thank you that it's a double-edged sword, able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, and we trust you to do that this morning as we are in your word. So thank you, Lord God. So we've been doing a series on lament and um, learning, and it's, it's an unfamiliar topic to us in a lot of ways. Uh, I think we're all familiar with pain and suffering, but lament is something uh, that we learn from the scriptures is how to deal with our pain, because life is full of real pain. God created the world good, but when sin entered the world, pain and death entered the world, and we experience that every day. And probably the biggest question that people ask, the biggest challenge that the atheist brings is, if there's a good God, why is there pain and suffering in the world? If there is a good God. And this, this book speaks of that good God. It speaks and witnesses to the pain in the world, and it speaks of God's plan to redeem us out of that pain, although there is a time uh, of, uh, there is a journey between the pain and the fulfillment of every promise of God. And in that place, that tension of pain and promise, we learn to lament. Lament is a prayer. It's more than just crying. It's praying to God, but it includes crying out to him. And what we've been talking about is this pattern that we see often in the Psalms, is four parts to lament. Turning to God is part one. Turn to God and address him. Part two, uh, acknowledge and bring your complaint to God. Bring your pain to God. I hear those kids. Can you hear those kids? I hear those kids. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, we'll make do today. That's been the theme today. <laughs> um, part two is bringing your complaint to God, your, your pain, turning it to the Lord. Even in your complaint, there's faith when you are praying. You're expressing faith even when you bring your hard questions and your struggles to God. And then the third part is trusting, trusting of God, proclaiming trust. Actually, the third, I think, in the lineup is asking of God. Asking, making your requests known, your heart known to him, and asking of God, and then finally trusting him, proclaiming your trust in his name. And we see these patterns in different formats, but really we see these themes in the prayers of the psalmist. Lament is a third of the psalms. The biggest category in the worship book of God is lament. I did not expect Praise would be the biggest category. And actually, something interesting is as you read the Psalms, you see a lot of laments, but as you progress through them, you finish the book with praise. The book finishes with more and more praise to God. And really, that's our journey from pain to turning to God and offering our requests and our complaints and coming to a place of trust and rest. And one day, beloved, every promise will be fulfilled. Every tear will be wiped away. And we 
place, O Lord. Ten thousand years and forevermore will praise the Lord. And so that's our series that we've been doing. And today we're going to be in Psalm 77, somewhat intense of a psalm. Psalm 77, written um, by a guy named Asaph. And Asaph was one of the chief musicians of David, and he wrote a number of psalms, uh, particularly the section Psalm 73 to 83, are written by Asaph. Um, and it says here, they form, he, um, he also trained the sons of Asaph, kind of a guild of musicians, and it says here that they formed a guild and played a prominent part at each revival of the national religion, which is pretty amazing to me that uh, during the revivals, Asaph's sons were there and present, leading the nation in worship and praise. So allow me to begin with this song with a question. When troubles come, do you cry aloud to the Lord? Do you carry troubles in your soul? And maybe, maybe your reaction is to cry out. Maybe your reaction is to turn to the Lord. But some, a lot of people carry troubles that nobody knows of. And they don't say it to other people. They carry them in the soul. And we see this, almost this thoughtful, con contemplative psalmist who cries out to the Lord, but then how much is just being worked out inside of his heart in the midst of this psalm. And he really ends up doing strong soul-searching. Soul-searching because of his pain that causes him to search his soul. And he asks hard questions of God. Questions that we, I think we all ask of God when things get hard. How do we handle that trouble? And how do we handle that pain? And how do we internalize that? How do we deal with it inside of our own hearts? We see that with Asaph's wrestling in this psalm. And uh, I titled this psalm, Soul Search. Soul Search. Because we get a window into his soul. And really what we see is three movements of Asaph's soul. Three movements of his soul, with the final section being a story from Scripture. And so, why do I say three movements? Because if you look in your Bible, you can see this little phrase, Selah, partly through, Selah. You see that? As you look through that song? That Selah is, a, is this musical term that means to pause. And it may also signify to contemplate. Uh, but it's a musical term meaning to pause. And so the psalms actually separated by these selahs. Part 1, verses 1 through 3. Part uh, 2, 4 through 9. And then 10 through 15 and 16 through 20. Four parts to the psalm. And in these four parts, three, we see the movement of Asaph's soul. We see his troubled cry. We see his soul's searching. And we see him remembering what God has done. And then finally we see a specific story. And so four parts. Crying, searching, remembering, and then we see the story. What he is remembering. And so we're going to walk through and see these movements of his soul beginning with his soul's cry. Let's begin with verse 1. I cry aloud to God. Aloud to God and he will hear me. 
In the days of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the time, in the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. And when I meditate, my spirit faints. And so notice the trouble of his soul. First he does is he cries out. He cries out to God aloud. And does he say, notice he says, he will hear me. The Lord will hear me. And that is our God. Our God hears us when we cry. When you cry out to him, he knows what you're crying out. Uh, actually, the scripture says he knows what you're going to say before it's even in your, out of your mouth. And it says, you perceive my thoughts from afar. God knows what you're thinking. He knows the cry of your heart, whether it's audible or silent. He seeks the Lord in the day of his trouble. Notice, in the night, my hand is stretched out without weary. Have you ever been up at night because of your trouble? You ever find that your trouble has kept you up as you think about it? And you look and your hand is outstretched towards God. Help me. Help me, God, in my trouble. My soul refuses to be comforted. Notice, when I remember God, I moan. And when I meditate, my spirit faints. There can be such distress in our heart and our soul that we groan. And that when we think of God, we wonder, why does he not answer? Why does he not meet me in this place? And we moan or groan. We find that we may even faint in our hearts or in our spirit. Notice this troubled cry. When you carry that trouble, it's appropriate to cry out to God. And to turn to God like somebody sinking in quicksand, crying out to the Lord. And knowing that God hears, and it is possible to carry that much trouble in our soul. And then finally we see not just this cry after this first selah, but this soul searching that goes on in Asaph's soul. Look at verse 4. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. Notice that he cries out at first to the Lord. And then he says, I'm so troubled I cannot speak. It's almost as if he's gone quiet. And it was receded into his spirit or into his soul and carried the trouble in his heart. And then notice he, he turns to contemplation. Verse 5, I consider the days of old, the years long ago. He considers. He reflects. He's looking back. He said, I said, let me remember my song in the night and let me meditate in my heart. And that those two words actually pair together throughout the psalm. Remember and meditate. He said, let me remember my song in the night. Now that's interesting. Remember my song in the night. Another psalmist in Psalm 42, I believe it's 42, um, yeah, no, excuse me. Let's see. Yes, 42.8. In Psalm 42.8, it says, By the day, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. <sighs> Sometimes I think God gives us a song that describes your trouble or describes your prayer. You ever find you wake up or you, you go to bed and there's a song floating in your mind? 
it's a song you sing at church. There's a song that you've heard or a song that just is nailed where you are at. I find it's one way that God speaks is reading a song to remind or to our heart. These psalms are songs. And sometimes these songs can put a finger in a pulse where your heart is at. A song that you can use to pray to the Lord and reflect on. There's a person here who I remember a couple years ago, the song Raise a Hallelujah, Raise a Hallelujah, was rose in their soul in the midst of the troubles coming against them. Seemed like it was on every side, and they would call that song, I raise a hallelujah louder than my unbelief. And it's, it's a song about responding to trouble with praise, with worship, with thanksgiving. And I believe the Holy Spirit was directing that person how to respond in the midst of their trouble, in the midst of their heart. And so we see this troubled cry, and then we see the soul searching, beginning with this contemplation and meditation. The trouble is they're thinking, but they're not speaking. Hearing this trouble in their hearts, you know, there's a proverb that says, even in laughter, the heart may ache. And the end of joy may be grief. You ever notice that? Sometimes people laugh and then you find out something happens to them and you thought, I didn't know anything was wrong. Because even with a smile, even with laughter, somebody might be carrying grief that we don't know about. The trouble inside their soul or inside their heart. How do we handle that? Well, this trouble might create soul searching, contemplation, and remembering. And notice the soul search that Asaph says in verse 6. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? His soul searching, the trouble that's in his heart is bringing up questions, hard questions. Questions that are hard to answer. Have you ever had hard questions about God because of the trouble that you face? Know that it is normal and it is common and the greatest saints carried those same questions in their souls to God. They questioned, God, why will you spurn? Spurn means to kick or to drive away with your foot. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? I asked somebody this week, Liv and I were prompted to call a friend, and we called them. They were in trouble. There was distress in the soul. Nobody probably knew talking to that person, but there was distress in their soul. And I asked, do you feel like God has favor on you? And, and this Christian that trusts in Jesus Christ said, no. I feel at any, any moment, God might take away his hand from me. You ever felt like that? 
about to be smoked by God, struck. I felt like that. I felt like that, afraid, forgetting God's love, wondering if he was to punish me. These questions that arise out of our trouble. And so I'm in that, I feel the Lord led to just read a couple passages about his love, that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That Christ has fulfilled the requirement of the law for us. That Christ has carried our sins and given us his righteousness so that God's favor will never leave. He will never forsake us. His love will never abandon us. Because Christ took our sins in his body on that tree. That's the truth. That's the truth, beloved. God will never leave nor forsake you. And he loves you. But those questions are real. Those questions are real that arise in our soul. And you know what? The psalmist Asaph asks them of God. Bring those hard questions to God. Has the steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end, God? Do your promises, you said you would do this, Lord. Are your promises at an end? Have you forgotten me? Have you forgotten to be gracious? Can you shut up your anger? And your compassion, Lord. Beloved, if you find those questions arise in your soul, bring them to God. When you ask God, you show one that you believe in Him, that He is real, and you're wondering how come what I read and what I hear and what I see in my life doesn't seem to match up. Why is there why is there this dissonance? God, bring that to the Lord, beloved, and know that many a saint has done the same. You read the story of Job, a righteous man, blameless in his ways. And Satan came and took everything away from him and struck his life. Read how many questions Job asks of God. If you keep reading, you'll find all the questions that God asks of Job in the story. But it's okay to, in the midst of carrying our trouble, in the midst of contemplating and remembering and soul-searching, this diligent soul-search to bring our hard questions to God. And I would, I would ask that you do that. You bring those to the Lord. Turn to God with them. I've talked to atheists who ask hard questions. They ask the same questions, but they're not directed at God. They're, they're a point at me. They're a challenge at me. And one issue, I think, is that they don't ask them of God. They don't turn to God in faith to ask Him those questions, to lead them in the Almighty's hands, who is capable to answer, who may not provide answers right then and there. But let us turn to God with those questions. Something that I think our troubles do beyond just bringing up hard questions. I think our troubles often identify the fears in our life. Um, hard questions or fear. Usually there's a question in our fear. Too. Will you abandon me? Lord, will you let me be deceived? Do you love me? I think sometimes our troubles, like a like shaking up a bottle of pop 
brings all those things we didn't know were there, all those bubbles come to the surface. And I see in my own heart in trouble, I see this fear that arises that I did, maybe I didn't know that I had a fear. What if I'm going to be abandoned? What if I'm forsaken? What if I fail? Bring those fears to God as well. Sometimes when I, those fears come up, I find God counseling me and having me identify and lift those fears up to God, I'm afraid of this. And as I do, scriptures come to my mind, reminding me of the truth. Sam, I'll never leave you. I'll forsake you. I'll always lead you in triumphal procession. Sam, in my son, he reminds me of the truth. When those fears arise in my soul. Bring those fears to God. Because he has the answers. It's interesting what Job said. He said, the thing that I fear comes upon me. And what I dread befalls me. It's funny how sometimes our fears find us. But I think God allows it. Identify those insecurities in our soul so that we can turn to him. The one who has the answer, the one who has the truth, the one who can assuage every fear with his love, with his peace, with his goodness and kindness and truth. And so we see this hard soul searching. But then we see another movement in Asaph's soul. Not just bringing these troubled cries to God or these inward soul-searching questions. We see him remember and meditate again. Look at verse 10. Then I said, I will appeal to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. And this is what I would call this section, this movement. I will remember what? The deeds of of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. And so as he's inwardly thinking, notice this is the third time remember and meditate has come up in the text. Look at the first time it came up. When I remember God, I moan and I meditate. My spirit thinks. You see that trouble in the beginning. And then and this, this progression, verse 6, let me remember my song in the nights and let me meditate in my heart. And then in verse 11, yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. His mind and heart and thoughts are slowly turning to God, going above the wind and the waves in his life, above the problems so that he thinks about God. And he remembers God's work. He looks back and remembers what God has done. And notice his conclusion of who God is as a result of thinking about his works in verse 13. <clears throat> Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people and the children of Jacob and Joseph. He recognized that God is holy. What does that word holy mean? 
somebody get stabbed. Pure, there's this purity element, moral element of holiness, righteousness, but it's more than that. Without fault. Perfect, but it's even more than that. Without fault, it's perfect. Set apart, unique, different, holy. God is unlike anyone else. That's why you actually you see that couplet there in verse 13. Your way of God is holy, and then here's another definition of holy. What God is like, our God. Nobody is like him. That's what holiness is. Being set apart, different, separate from impurity, which has to do with righteousness, uh, or being perfect. He is nothing is like our God. The way that God works is different than how the world works. His way is holy, it says. God's, God's pathway is different than our pathways. The world says, take this way. God has a different path and a different way. And you read in scripture, you see God is so different. And this God calls you to follow him. This God wants you to walk in his ways. You lead me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Gentle shepherd, lead us. Savior like a shepherd, lead us. Much we need thy tender care. Jesus wants to lead us in his ways. In his steps. Verse 14, it says that he's the God who works wonders. And he's made known his might among the people. What's the word might mean? Well, well maybe I say another version of it, the word might. Strength. Strength, yes. Strength. God's might. It's actually uh, probably the Hebrew word underlying that. I've not checked, but it's probably the word that the root means warrior. The word mighty uh, is connected to this warrior. God is a mighty warrior. He does strength among his people, and he works wonders. God's people were in great trouble in the Old Testament. They were taken as slaves of the Egyptian nation for 400 years. They were slaves as a nation. Trouble. Great trouble, and they cried out to God in their slavery. And God came and showed his might among the nation in his wonders. He sent plagues upon Egypt, plagues of frogs, plagues of gnats, uh, plagues of disease. He sent darkness on the land. He sent hailstone on the land. And he was delivering his people out of that slavery, out of their troubles. Notice, no God had done God's way is holy. No God delivers like our God. And he made known his wonders and strength among his people. It says that by his arm, which means his strength, he redeemed his people. To redeem is to buy back, to bring them out. He brought them out of slavery. The psalmist lifts his eyes off his troubles and remembers what God has done. And now we see the specific memory of God, or of this story that he recalls. Oh, before we get into that, let me just say this about this remembering. How do you and I remember what God has done? 
Uh, one thing that we do is we read. Read what God has done. Go back and read the stories of what God has done in the Old and New Testament. And remember that this God who did these things has not changed. This is who he is. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His ways are still holy and different. He is still the God of wonders. He is still the God who works mightily among his people, just as he did in the Old Testament. And as you do recall, in the midst of your troubles, you are not the only one who's walked through trouble. God's people have always walked through trouble. And their God was with them, and their God delivered them out of every trouble. And so we see the last snapshot, what the movements, we see this troubled pride, and we see this soul searching, and then we see this remembrance of God and what God has done. And then finally we see this specific snapshot, this specific story. It's the story where God leads his people through the Red Sea. Remember that story? That story where, you know, the, the waters part and the people walk through the Red Sea. And so let's listen to him recall, Asaph recall the Red Sea. When the waters saw you, oh God. Now that's called personification. Water can't see anything, right? Um, this is an artful language. When the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water, and the skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, and your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So first of all, when he, when he begins talking about the waters, and, uh, and the Jewish thought the waters was this untamable force, you know? Who can tame the sea or commands the waves? Who can train the waves? None of us could. It's a picture of chaos and disorder and evil, and yet God is the one who calms the sea. He is the one who splits apart the waters and walks in the midst of the waters, and he is the one who has also walked upon the water and commanded the wind and the waves with the word, be still. Cease. Be still. God is the one who is in charge and in control. Notice his direction, his road, his way is different. In verse 10, your way was through the sea. When Moses led God's people out of Egypt, after all of those plagues, they came to a place by the sea, and they have the sea on this side, with the enemy, Pharaoh, changing his mind, comes to get them from behind the traps and the sea. There is no way. Our trouble surrounds us on all sides. Like that phrase between a rock and a hard place. And yet God has a way. God has a way. God says to Moses, why do you stand there? And God opens up way through the sea. His footprints yet unseen. He led his people like a shepherd leading his flock 
through that chaotic power of darkness, through that untamable force, the waters, the wind, and the waves, God walked right through and has led his people right through it. Truly, that is the case, Lord. Your way is holy. No God is like our God. No God opens up a way where there is no way like our God. You know, the neat thing is that they do this with the Red Sea, but then you turn to the book of Joshua when Moses has passed away, and it's a new generation. And as they enter into the Promised Land, they part the Jordan River and walk through the Jordan River. And I just read that. God showing that just as he was with Moses, so is he with his people as they enter into the promised land. And beloved, so is God with you. So is God with you. He has not changed. And though your troubles surround you on all sides, God has a way. And God has a way to lead you through your troubles, to provide you a way and God has not changed. As we look at his works and we look and see what God has done, we see the answers to those questions in our soul. The answer to Asaph's questions in his heart. The Lord has not spurned forever. He has favor. The Lord's steadfast love has not ceased and his promises have not ended. But God is the same. As he looks back and remembers, God is the same. God has not changed. This is who my God is. My God has compassion and he has mercy on me. And we see the same Lord, the same God of the universe is Jesus who walks on the wind and the waves. He walks on the wind and the waves because he is God. He is Lord and his disciples saw him. So as we look back, you and I as Christians, we have these wonderful works of God, these wonders, but we have another great Red Sea to you and me. The blood of Jesus. You and I were surrounded by our sins on all sides. The weight and the penalty of our sins weighed us down. No way out. You can't be good enough. There's not enough good you can do. There is no way that you could escape from this enemy. And the only punishment deserved is death. And God made a way when there was no way, and he shed the blood of his son at the cross so that God could be holy and forgive our sins. And through the shed blood of Jesus, he redeemed his people. And God showed his might and his power in rolling the stone away on the third day and raising up Jesus from the dead. This same God who split the Red Sea made a life for us through Jesus. And you and I, in the midst of our troubles, can look back at what our God has done. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I recall a song that's been coming to my mind this morning as I was thinking about this is a song written by actually a woman in Nigeria, uh, Waymaker. You've probably heard it. The chorus, it's, it's just honoring that God is the God who makes a way. His way is holy and good. 
Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. That's where God is. He's the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, the light in the darkness. And so, do you carry troubles in your soul? You're not alone. And you bring, as you bring those troubled cries of your hearts, and as you soul search, remember your God, who is holy, who loves you, and is for you, and trust in him, who has made a way through Christ, and who makes a way for you and me. Allow me to pray. Father, thank you that you see every heart, and you know what weighs upon our soul. Lord, we lift our souls to you and ask that your spirit would teach us to remember and meditate upon our God and upon his works and his ways and teach us to walk in your ways and your paths and comfort your people and lift our eyes to Christ, to the cross, 